in Houston. I'm John Herter. Tuesday, the 12th day of December. Great as always to have you along, everybody. From the Experts is a virtual networking opportunity flow accelerator helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. Yeah, it's like a TED Talk with interaction. And if all goes well, curiosity spark new ideas, accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself or somebody solve that problem, make a connection, reaching the opportunity faster. Folks, help me welcome guest expert Florence Hudson. Florence is Executive Director for the Northeast Big Data Innovation Hub, funded by the U.S. National Science Foundation. She's chair of the IEEE Standards Working Group, developing a standard on clinical Internet of Things data and device interoperability with TIPS. That stands for Trust, Identity, Privacy, Protection, Safety, and Security. She's also working with IEEE and NIST to bring TIPS to other domains, including connected vehicles, and energy grids. Florence, thank you very much for being with the FTE Network today and shedding some light on the growing risks that our connected data and devices produce. And more importantly, how your team is addressing the challenge and helping leaders and organizations will better protect their people and assets. Tell us more, please. Sure. Thank you so much for having me, John and Gus, who I just met today. John and I have been chatting for a while. And thank you all for joining us. I'd like to do a Quick poll. Um, if you could each just tell us what industry you work in. I know um, somebody was telling me they are dealing with DOD, but you know, automotive, healthcare, grid, agriculture, anything. If you guys could just, you know, say it out loud or stick it in the chat, I'd like to customize what I'm saying for your uh, your focus area. Uh, Oz, go for it. Oh, all right. I was going to type it, but I'm in uh, chemical distribution, mostly cryogenic liquids. Mm, so you care about trust, identity, privacy, protect, well, mostly protection, safety, and security, maybe not privacy as much, but could be. Okay, very good. Who else? Yeah, Florence, uh, Arnold Lopez, I'm in, uh, in the oil and gas industry in the production side, mostly. I'm retired, but I still working in energy transition. Very cool. I've retired twice, so I totally okay. understand. I have right. retirement every time. Thank you. So welcome back. <laughs> Anybody else? I just got I've... my cybersecurity certificate from Google, so I am broadening my horizons and my knowledge base. Well, good. So are the cybersecurity issues broadening their horizons and knowledge base, so that's good. Homa, you were going to say something? Yeah, hi. I'm in uh, energy uh, uh, industry, but mostly work, working with IoT, basically. So asset management in energy. Yeah. Perfect. IoT is the name of the game that we're going to be talking about a lot. Rajiv, did you want to say anything? Oh, I think you might be on mute. You're on mute, Rajiv. Could be double muted. That happens to me sometimes. On <laughs> yeah. mute. Okay, I'm... I'm uh... I'm kind of retired, but I'm um, doing this uh, digitalization uh, area I'm focusing on. But I'm in the oil and I've worked in the oil and gas industry and uh, off uh, deep water offshore and all uh, subsea and all the things. But now I'm working on digitalization side of them and uh, holding uh, sessions in conferences, o Thanks. OTC, OME. So it's it's interesting. I'm learning this. So cybersecurity is of interest to me. Yeah, it should be. It wasn't, you know, I worked on the intelligent oil field strategy years ago when I was a VP of strategy at IBM. And we were looking at putting sensors in the oil well so that we could quiesce them before they blew, <laughs> you know, yeah. 
you save money and you keep people safer. That was yeah. probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, we started doing that, I think with Shell at the time. And there's just so, there's so many more IoT devices, bring your own device, you know, hack your own device. There's a lot of stuff going on. So yeah. I'm great to see that you are continuing to move into the future. Anyone else who wants to tell us what, what industry they're in? So I work in compliance and cybersecurity um, for private companies. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you for doing that. We'll have more compliance opportunities, I think, coming up uh, with the way everything's going. David? Uh, yeah, um, I'm David Pierce. Uh, I work in financial services. Um, I think primarily concerned about like how we federate models that, you know, uh, traditional ML also has attribute and membership inference stuff. So I'm, I'm interested in the IoT and kind of how you secure the edge. I'm also mm -hmm. interested in how you federate that because uh, I've you know, worked in financial services for long enough that um, there's a real interest in making sure that we understand what industry is doing and what other industries are doing. So thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Anyone else before we jump in? I, um, I'm, I recently started a position in the cybersecurity division of a telecommunications company. So I'm super excited to hear how it might be applicable to just communications in general. Mm, I was talking to NIST about that too. Yes, we'll talk about that. Anyone else? Okay. Why don't we jump in and jump in, you know, at any time where this is uh we're collaborative and inclusive and everything. So did you want Gus to share the slides, John, or did you want me to? Okay, great. So um, as you heard, I'm, I am an executive director for the Northeast Big Data Innovation Hub at Columbia University. So these big data hubs were created in 2015, funded by the National Science Foundation. And uh, then in 2019, and then I got more funding to create a code information commons. And now I'm working on a Department of Transportation Federal Highway Authority project to reduce traffic fatalities. So they pull us in to leverage data any way we can. I also worked for the NSF Cybersecurity Center of Excellence at Indiana University. I started in DOD work at Grumman years ago, working on Navy aircraft. I worked at NASA. Um, and I created a lot of the smarter planet, smart cities, smart buildings, smart grids, smart water, smart arc, smart this, smart that stuff when I was at IBM. So the Internet of Things space and cybersecurity are of the utmost importance. You know, now people talk about zero trust architecture like it's a new thing. Anybody who's ever worked with DOD knows it was always zero trust. That's the whole point. But now we're talking about it, which is good, you know. Um, and so what we're going to talk about is this new um, this new standards effort that we started um, when I was in 2015, when I was at IBM, um, I was actually uh, ARM, ARM approached us, you know, the guys who do the IP for the design of chips that go into healthcare devices and all sorts of devices and Samsung phones and things like that. And they, we talked about the need for end-to-end -end trust and security in this growing connected world and nobody was worrying about it. Everybody worries about their little point and we really need it end-to-end. -end. So we started this idea of tips. And so now we have a standard uh, draft. It it passed its IEEE vote. Um, and now we're going through comments. We're hoping it comes out next year. And when I presented this to NIST last year, um, they asked us if we could bring this across all the cyber physical systems. I said, absolutely, that's what we want to do. But I want to get the first standard out the door so we know what the it is, and then we can customize it. Kind of like if any of you are geeks, and some of you are, especially telco people, 802.11, they created the base standard for Wi-Fi, and then it's exploded and it became many octopuses. It's almost like a blockchain that went wild. And so that's what we're looking to do with TIPS, is start with clinical Internet of Things, 
because if you hack those, you can immediately kill a human. Um, then we want to go to autonomous vehicles because if you hack those, you can quickly kill a human. And uh, the energy grid, you know, they've had synchrophaser units and things they haven't touched for years, but now with new decentralized and distributed energy, a lot of opportunities and a lot more attack vectors. So we plan on taking this kind of across everything and working with NIST and IEEE. And we look at it as the next turn of the crank beyond CIA. CIA is still important, which is confidentiality, integrity, availability. Some of you people are probably clocking with me. If not, you can ignore that part. But TIPS actually brings the humans into the loop because now the technology is inside the humans, you know, like pacemakers and other types of devices or insulin pumps or different sensors. Um, and also the humans are in the technology, like autonomous vehicles, much more broadly than people who sign a waiver, like you're yeah, happy to be an astronaut. I know it might work, not work out. These are people in their everyday lives that are in technology. And so we really want um, a standard that will go end to end, top to bottom, a hardware, firmware, software, and service level to protect the humans, the data, and the devices. So this is tips for reducing security and privacy risk in this increasingly connected world. I also chair the working group uh, leading this and I have a consulting firm on the side. And Emily, who's uh, on my team at the Big Data Hub is here too. She's putting cute little things in the chat for us. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> Next slide, please. So uh, this is a slide I like to use just to say, advanced technologies are enabling all this digital transformation. Rajiv, you were talking about and others, digital transformation, but they all can increase risk. Internet of Things, if you're a cybersecurity person, it's like, ah, it's like a hailstorm of attack vectors, right? Look at all these attack vectors that are there. And some of these devices, even devices from firms that you know and trust that have been around forever, like in the healthcare space, they've had recalls of like 465,000 you know, pacemakers. These are companies you know. Then there are the cute little companies who've never done anything like this before, who don't really know how to work with a diligent security and privacy framework. So we look at this and say, wow, Internet of Things, it's wonderful. We can gather all this data. We can do sensing and actuating. If you're a cybersecurity person, you should switch on the actuation side, right? Sensing is one thing, but then using that information, trying to validate the veracity, is it really true? And then actuating and making sure you're actuating the right way and that you're the one that should be doing it. That has so many implications to it. The leverage of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, you know, you can create problems. You can create bias and ethics issues. Um, I was on a panel with a woman from a very large national lab at Supercomputing Conference a few years ago, and she was saying that once they have the algorithm, they lock it down. I was like, oh my gosh, don't you know what machine learning is? And so it's interesting. But she lives in a world with like a beam line, or you know, working at an atomic level where. Things don't change that. Once they figure it out, they want to keep using that. But if you're talking about humans and devices and devices in the wild, you really need to be using the machine learning. You need to be learning you know, what's changing. Um, augmented reality, virtual reality, extended reality, non-reality, whatever. You know, There's a lot we have to worry about there. Um, and I think about, you know, using VR and AR for, you know, healthcare opportunities and, you know, maybe in rural communities and gosh, how are they going to hack that stuff? You know, there's phishing and vishing. And I heard there's quishing now, 
know if you heard of quishing, but that's when they use a QR code to hack you. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so there are all these opportunities um, that can happen. And but all this technology can actually help us if we use it well. You know, blockchain, I'm actually on the board for blockchain and healthcare today, but I always say, you know, they're all hackable. So make sure you architect it correctly. I'm a I'm a virtual private, like a VPN blockchain type of girl, you know, private protected. Um, but it allows you to help people share data when they don't have a central authority. That could be very valuable. I was actually consulting with um, a country and they were talking about, uh, not this one, but I can't tell you which one, and they wanted to help their departments work across their data silos. And you know they don't share. I'm like, oh, I've heard of that before. And so they want to leverage distributed ledger technology to enable the sharing where they don't have a centralized authority and they don't have to wait for the government to reorganize itself for the next 20 years. And so those are opportunities and they can create a private permission blockchain. So you have to know how to use these technologies. And one of the things we talk about is responsible data science, responsible AI, um, you know, trustworthy AI, trustworthy systems, you know, zero trust architectures, as you know. So there's a lot going into what can I trust? Who can I trust? Unfortunately, what I say, the new acronym is ABS, always be suspicious. You know, these days you really have to be suspicious with people, things, devices, calls, software, anything, you know, that's happening. But we want to take advantage of these technologies to do good. So if you want to go to the next slide, this is a this actually came out of a an NSF Future Wireless Cities workshop I did in 2016. This was quite a while ago now, but it shows like the broad range of of opportunities that we have to leverage these devices and enable a connected system of systems which you know, I'm an aerospace engineer by training. So we think at that level, you know, the whole plane has to work together. It can't be, this is the perfect tail if it doesn't work with the wing. And that's how you have to really look at this is what is the, the system of systems and how does everything work together to leverage data, to improve operations, energy use, efficiency, safety, quality of life, the environment and citizen experience, all these opportunities. Um, and there are different ideas on how this would be done. I'm a mesh networks type of girl. So, you know, all these things can be connected in a mesh that could be different. Different. Um, you know, there's 4G, 5G, 6G, 7G. I was at, I just spoke at the IEEE Future um Future Wireless Network Forum, I think it was called. So we're up, I think we're up to 7G now in the discussions. Um, and you have all these opportunities on the left. There could be with vehicles, vehicle to vehicle communication, vehicle to infrastructure communication. You know, the the bridge is going up, the bridge is going down, uh, vehicle to human. You know, um, maybe it can tell if, you know, your defibrillator is going off and it's and something else is going on Um, and, you know, vehicle to, you know, other personal devices, Um, smarter transportation, industrial IoT, SCADA systems, all that stuff is, you know, ITOT, they talk about information technology, operational technology, which is hackable and dangerous, Um, connected citizens who have all these devices, Um, the smart grid and the microgrid. I'm actually on a board at UC San Diego uh, for the Distributed Energy Research Connect project from NSF. It's about a 20 or $30 million project where they're trying to create a distributed energy grid on campus and then look at how you bring all these pieces into the grid, you know, from your, um, you know, from the the wind or the solar or whatever it is, you know, use your car as a, as a, um, as a grid source, um, smart homes and buildings, and then connected healthcare where we're starting this tips journey, as I mentioned, because of the immediate risk to humans um, if it's done. And so we really need these tip standards, trust, identity, privacy, protection, safety, and security across everything. And our vision is to create 
a technical standard. Um, it's 250 pages, God bless us. Um, and we have a lot of shalls in there. So the way standards work is when you say shall, that means it has to be done to meet the standard specification. Should means, uh, you know, you should consider it. And what we're also planning to do after we get the standard out, God willing, is create a maturity model so that you can look at these different elements, you know, T, uh, trust, identity, privacy, protection, safety, and security, and wherever you are, create a baseline for yourself and then move forward. So you don't go, oh my gosh, I can't do all this. It's like, that's okay. You know, I say, it's like when a little kid says, I want to be a doctor. And you're like, oh my gosh, you're only four. You don't say that. You say, well, you know, you're going to go to school and then you're going to learn math, you know, and they, and they move along. And so anything can have a maturity model. And so that's the strategy that we have. Um, I think that this is my last real slide, John. Is that what we did? Let me see. Oh, so here's the, here's the TIPS framework. So trust is allowing only designated people and services to have device or data access. Identity is validating the identity of people, services, and things. Now, trust and identity go together for people who do cybersecurity and identity and access management. One of the concerning things is that I've had people, actually even device manufacturers, who say to me, trust is separate from identity. I'm like, not if you do it right. You know, so you validate identity before you, you grant trust. And that's, that's like your multi-factor authentication when you're trying to get into your bank. It's when someone comes to your front door and says, police, I say, yeah, prove it. Show me your badge. Okay, give me the number. Okay, I'm going to call the police station, right? So how many layers do you need to go to actually validate the identity and then be able to trust? And how often do you revalidate the identity if you have a service or a human trying to get in? Privacy, ensuring device personal and sensitive data is kept private. Uh, protection, protecting the devices and users from harm, physical, digital, financial, and reputational. You know, when you get hacked, unfortunately, it's, you're not the only one anymore. So people go, oh boy, not again, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Protection, protecting devices and users from harm. Um, uh, safety, providing uh, safety for devices, infrastructure, and people, and security, maintaining security of data, devices, and people. Um, and so these are all the different aspects of TIPS. They can apply to many things, as you can see on this picture, water systems, vehicles, network security. Actually, one of the things I was talking to the NIST communication te communications team about is I'd like us to talk more about getting more security actually into the network. And, um, you know, we have elements of security in the network, but I think there's more we could do. Just like in the energy grid, you know, I was, I've been working on smart good things on and off for a number of years, like maybe 20. And, you know, the synchrophaser units and the devices they have, they haven't touched those like since the 60s, right? That helps keep them secure. <laughs> you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But now with these new um, devices, new sensors, new sources, new resources, there are more attack vectors. Um, and so we have to think about all of that and all of this is connected. So that's the idea behind TIPS. And um, we're looking at bringing it across all domains. You all, what I would suggest, what I always suggest for each of these, and you know, we started in clinical IoT. I spoke about this at an IEEE meeting in Berlin in December 2019 before the world shut down. So we're going to go back um, on, on the autonomous vehicles folks. Um, I'm already speaking to the IEEE grid people, smart grid people on that. And then we had a meeting with IEEE and decentralized clinical trial teams, and they're going to start a TIPS effort. So what I suggest in each of these is like create a picture of what does your use case look like and where are the attack vectors and where are you worried about potential risk from trust, identity, privacy, protection, safety, or security standpoints. 
And then that will get you started on thinking how you can do this. If any of you are interested in working with IEEE and creating you know, a working group to apply tips in your domain, I'm happy to help you with that because I'll be kind of you know, kind of the tips leader, I guess, in a way, since it's my fault that we're doing this. And so, um, you know, I'm happy to work with you on that. We're creating a new uh, decentralized clinical trials one, and then we'll be doing grid and probably vehicles. Um, So I'd be happy to to chat with any of you about that now or later, like let it sink in, connect with me on LinkedIn. I hope to be around for another 40 years. So (laughs) you should be able to find me. Awesome. You know, uh, we've got a few questions, but I think you teed it up really nicely for the group. I mean, does anybody have a particular use case, a situation, uh, you know, and what are you concerned about? What are the attack vectors? Um, feel free to bring it up now. Anybody have something that they had a question or a question from Florence based on what you heard? Uh, Michelle says, hey, who would be the authority on creating the standards for TIPS like SASB or for ESG? So we're working with IEEE. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Okay, we're the geeks. So IEEE is the Institute for Electrical and Electronic Engineers. Have you ever heard of the Wi-Fi standard? Have you ever heard somebody say 802.11 to you? Have you ever seen that anywhere? No, no. But I'm going to be working on a CISO search. So that's why I was wondering who might, where, kind of get a, a sense of who the authorities are in the space. Okay, so IEEE is um, a, an international standards organization. We have about 400,000 people in it, I think. These are geeks for good, I call us. They don't call themselves that. Um, but we, we I, I was too young, it wasn't me. No, but um, they created the wireless standard, which is now known as 802.11, probably, gosh, how many, maybe 20 years ago. And it's a base standard and it's what allows you to use Wi-Fi wherever you go. And so we create standards that um, work with anything that's electrical and electronic, which is basically anything that isn't just a plain piece of wood anymore. And so IEEE is leading this effort. I brought underwriters laboratories into it. So Mm -hmm. I was a little girl. I used to crawl around looking for the UL tag on electric cords because I knew it meant they were safer. And so when we started this effort, I asked to pull UL in. And so this is actually the first standards effort being jointly developed from the beginning between IEEE and UL. The way standards organizations work is they usually hunker down and do it, create it like this, and then they throw it over the transmit and say, here you go, you know, and then they'll, it'll be accepted by other organizations like ISO, IEC, you know, so IETF. So we're already communicating with these other standards organizations saying, it's coming, it's coming. Um, and we have IEEE and UL together. And so uh, you're doing a CISO search in what industry are you in? In hospitality. I, I'm an executive recruiter. Oh, you're a recruiter. Doing... Yes. Oh. So executive so... recruiter. And so we'll be doing a CISO search on behalf of a, a big resort chain. Oh, Oh, very interesting. So, um, yeah, you can look for cybersecurity people, uh, people that are trained um, by the SANS Institute, S-A-N-S. You might want to look at that. There's a, um, I'm a little dyslexic. Is it a CSSP? I'm always bad at that. I I flip a letter. Um, Oh, yeah, Stephen, you would know, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, Yeah, TSSP is what you're looking for for CISO. Also, someone who's uh, done CISO certification, but it's always good to have the ISO and uh, ISO um, 
certifications and NIST. Sorry, NIST? NIST, N-I-S-T. Yeah. Okay. And so mm -hmm. if you're on LinkedIn looking for people, if they have any of those certifications, they're usually posted. Fantastic. And so far as they're familiar with the standard, and, and forgive me for, for being uh, this candid, right, but I've got friends at PNNL who are really interested in how they, like, adjust the scope of what they look for. And Stephen, I, I don't mean to come off as hostile, so forgive me. Not at um, all. But that familiarity with the security standard uh, or with PCI and why PCI exists, right, doesn't mean that you have an understanding of, of why that standard is out of date, right? Um, we moved from, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember the name now either, um, but like th there was a whole hullabaloo about whether or not AES 192 is cracked here lately, and it doesn't make sense from a math perspective, right? Um, but it doesn't mean that like, uh, that there are not novel things that come up. My, my point is more that as we get into like how we secure models that have training data, which can be like pulled out, I, I am interested in candidly Florence and you, Stephen, and anybody else on the call, how you bridge the gap between what has traditionally been the role of a CISO and the understanding of how you do monitoring of a latent space to make sure that like, you know, your language models are, are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, so I... Okay, yeah. I can. I, I just want to finish Michelle's question. Just one thing. Yeah, no, I forgive me, Michelle. Oh, that's okay. So she didn't know what NIST was, and I just want to be polite. You know, coming from DoD land, where I used acronyms way too much in IBM, I try to spell them out for people when they don't know because I always hated that. So um, Michelle, NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and so NIST gets involved in not just standards and they have like a cybersecurity framework is kind of what Stephen is talking about. So you have to know about the 800-207 or I don't know, I get their numbers confused. So they have a bunch of things like that. Um, they also do testing, which is very interesting. So there's a NIST lab like in Gaithersburg where they do real testing of like automotive stuff and all sorts of things. So NIST is, uh, if they don't know about the NIST cybersecurity framework, they don't, they're not real, these humans. Right. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. That's very helpful. Everyone. Yeah, so if you say this to them and they say what, then you know that's the wrong person. <laughs> Got it. Thank you. Sure. And so David, back to your question. And Stephen, thank you for helping on that too. Sure. Um, and so David, back to your question. It sounds like you want to focus on LLMs. I wasn't really talking about LLMs. N not necessarily, but Ian, I didn't mean to interrupt either. I just, the new paradigm of like IoT, right? And I say IoT from experience in insurance, right? And like uh, a traditional understanding of how you federate ML and even do federated training leads me to believe that LLMs are susceptible to the same attacks. And if we're talking about how we orchestrate large scale systems and a friend of mine is bioinformatics at Northwestern, right? Like I'm gonna go see her on Saturday, right? Like if, if I'm trying to give good advice about how you engage with and define standards while at the same time making sure that we're not like myopic in our focus on what are very much the the, the blocking and tackling like you said of make sure your stuff is tagged appropriately make sure you validate make sure you you know kill your sessions every once in a while all of that is is great right um but i i am interested in um in how you guys are defining some of the standards around uh how we for instance from a privacy perspective um i have if if a language model uh, has been trained on data, you can have it reproduce parts of its corpus, right? How do you make sure that that layer has been destroyed in such a way that it's no longer reproducible? Um, and I've, 
Testing, obviously, you know, veracity testing. So let me go back to the beginning. And then oh, yeah, me... no, forgive me. I don't need to jump ahead. Sorry. Yeah, Florence, no, you're Florence. not jumping. What? Did someone say Florence? So, yeah. so let me just go back to the standard I'm developing right now. So you brought up a lot of different things. So this is like going into a grocery store and saying, I want to eat. What is everything? But what you really have to do in a standard is you have to be very specific about what you're trying to address, or it's you're just boiling the ocean, and then someone's going to say, "But all I wanted you to do was warm up the air." You know, it's just too broad. So the the tips for clinical Internet of Things is specifically creating standards at the technology level and the process level, at the hardware, firmware, software, and service layers, going all the way down to like trusted platform modules and the chip you know, uh, decommissioning and deprovisioning, authorization and connectivity, interoperability and what you do if it's like a non-happy path, you know, and the communications are broken. So looking at real use cases, we have use cases like, you know, in healthcare, we have, you know, um, continuous glucose monitors, we have hospital at home, all these technologies, you know, using internet, PAN, WAN, you know, um, Bluetooth, low energy, like all this stuff you have going on, but how do you maintain the security and what are all the things you have to watch out for? So that's what we're doing with this first standard. Our goal then is to take it to other cyber physical systems. So it could be, you know, SCADA systems like you use in oil and gas. It could be vehicles. It could be energy. And they all have kind of SCADA systems. They wouldn't have to fight about that. You know, hospitals have SCADA systems, right? But looking at um, where you have technology that can be hacked at many different levels, systems that could be hacked at many levels, and then how you can try to protect that. So that's the idea. Large language model is a completely different story. So I worked on, you know, deep QA and deep learning and Watson and all sorts of stuff when I was a VP at IBM. And we actually have a large language model masterclass right now on a the Northeast Big Data Hub where I work, that's a very different question. And, you know, there's actually a, a little video I did and a book that I'm in, um, an Elsevier book, um, talking about the five V's of big data, you know, volume, um, velocity, variety, veracity, and value. And you're talking about veracity, the uncertainty of the information. And so, safeguards have to be put in with all of that. So there are other, there are, there are security issues in wh wherever you are, like that guy in the National Guard or whatever who got into all these jewels he should not have been able to get into and then exposed it. You know, there are so many red flags on that, right? And I think they just told 19 people, bad, you didn't fix that. You didn't stop that. Well, you know, whatever you're doing, David, you're absolutely right. You have to put in the right controls. And all of these situations are very different that you're bringing up, you know. So I agree with you that you have to be very diligent about it. I haven't seen any standards efforts on LLMs at this point. But, you know, even in our, our standard, we were going to put AI and ML in. Um, but we're not ready because there's too much going on in AI and ML. You know, there's a new standard that just came out of the EU. The U.S. is trying to do something about it. There's actually an IEEE um, medical device standard for artificial intelligence and machine learning. So I'm on that working group too to keep an eye on it. But it's it's changing a lot. The governance is changing. The regulations are changing. The capabilities are changing. The ethics are a big issue. We're still figuring all this stuff out. So what I suggest you do is just stay on top of it. If you want to get involved in, in developing a standard, look at maybe partnering with IEEE or another organization you're more comfortable with, you know, ACM or, you know, NIST or whatever, because yeah. um, there's a lot to do. We have a lot of things that can, that are very risky and it's going to keep getting worse. So that's why we want to create a, a base for tips, but complementary to CIA, which is still a very good base to have. And from a DOD and enterprise 
and nation state perspective, we need that confidentiality, integrity, and availability, but now bringing the elements of all these new devices into it. So that's what I'm trying to work on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, as we have time at the end, I, I think I'll, I'll pick your brain a little bit more. Uh, I'm with you. Um, I think part of what you alluded to from an enterprise standard and a lot of what I'm trying to do is be good paranoid. Uh, about ways to engage. And, and I say that as someone who's built some of these frameworks and, and feels comfortable monitoring it, I, and who just, you know, came from Boston is now in Chicago. Like there, there, there is a lot of need. There is a lot of growth. But I guess what I'm concerned about is that if we don't have the NIST, if we don't have the IEEE, if we don't have, you know, these large organizations developing it, I'm less worried about regulatory capture. I'm less worried about fragmentation than I am about just not being able to engage with the thing du jour, right? Like the core of the EU AI Act is that that, that definition of like a, a high-risk system. Um, and from what I can tell, something as simple as like auto-distillation, like using a model to like look at it like an image qualifies. And, and that's that's where the concern is coming from. So forgive the, the, the tangent. Um, I look forward to helping direct where uh, and how I can be helpful. Um, thank you. I totally understand. You know, I remember when cloud was just kind of becoming a big thing. And I remember reading, um, and I'm part, part German, part Italian, but I'm American. And I'm, the German rules about if the, the data that's created in Germany stays in Germany, I was like, okay, I have this little Fitbit on. Right. So do I leave it here? You know, that's not what they meant. But your point is that as you look at these new technologies and people are trying to create standards or regulations or governance around it, it's not very clear. And that's true. So what I would say is focus on what's really important. So like we're focusing on trying to keep the humans alive. <laughs> you know, I think that's important. Um, but you have to look at what's important for your firm. You know, um, I mean, I also used to be VP of marketing and strategy for the mainframe at IBM. And Jamie Diamond still buys them because they're the most secure server on the planet, you know? So you have to look at what you're trying to accomplish and what will help you do that. And don't worry about the blinkety blank du jour. If you're working at a large financial firm, like the big banks always bought one of everything, <laughs> you know, and then they get to try it out. You know, they were doing internal DLTs for years, right? Because they wanted to see what it would look like to do a close with that. Um, and so you might, if you have the money to do it, try it out. But if not, I wouldn't just run after everything. Um, and I would also be careful, remember, my new term is ABS, always be suspicious. Mm -hmm. You know, as you're looking at these new technologies, what's the right way for you to deploy them? Like, oh, I'll do deployment. Oh, a blockchain. Right. Well, make sure you own 51% of the nodes are attackable. What does that mean? You know, know what those little pivot points are or those big pivot points and make sure that you understand that. Well, they're LLMs. You know, if you use the free chat GPT, it stopped learning in September of 2021. How many people know that? I don't know. Maybe one, two. Now there are 30 of us, right? Not a lot of people. And so you really have to be careful as you look at these new technologies to understand what it's good for and where it can hurt. So just looking at uh, Oz, you know, in your line of the business, uh, I imagine a lot of logistics. Are you facing any uh, challenges with suppliers or anywhere in that uh, uh, logistics supply chain? Or, or maybe, uh, Rajiv, you're dealing with one of your clients uh, who has a, a business risk. Just thinking about that, uh, if you've got something, please bring it forward. And meanwhile... Uh, Why don't we answer the questions in the chat while we're waiting? Yeah, right. Okay. So, Austin, you have a question. What sets TIPS apart from other frameworks? So, we're not trying to set it apart. We're trying to make it complementary. So, within the TIPS standard, we refer to the NIST cybersecurity framework and all... And actually... 
you know, all the other, I, I wasn't allowed to use all my geeky wiki charts today, but we actually have a, a slide that has all this stuff in it. Emily, can you put in the pre-standards, um, the one with the, you know, the framework in it? Can you put that? You probably already did. You're so cool. Um, the pre-standards work stream report? Yeah, the pre-standards work stream report. So when you look in that, uh, that was in 2019. Um, we knew we wanted to do something about this. So we created this little pre-standards working group with um, IEEE, and we came out with a report. And we actually have this TIPS framework in there. And it actually has a lot of different standards in it. Um, it has, um, you know, if, if you know, it, it's very uh, clinical IoT specific. So like um, FHIR and HL7 and Jello and SNOMED and Lowink and all these other things. And so you have to look at, you know, your specific domain and there are standards in your domain. You know, there are things that your ISAC probably knows. And I don't know if all you guys are involved in your ISAC and your industrial ISAC. Um, but here's the, this white paper and you could look that we refer to a lot of the standards. So actually in the, the TIP standard, we actually refer to the NIST and other ISO and IEEE and IEC standards. So it's meant to be complementary and like an umbrella. It's not meant to replace anything. We all have to work together. And there are a lot of very valuable standards out there. So it doesn't replace it, it complements it. And what it does that known others do is really pulls everything together, the trust, the identity, the privacy, protection, safety, and security, and doing it at the hardware, firmware, software, and service level, all the way down to the IP of the design of the chip, through the subassembly, the device, the service, and the cloud. So it goes all the way and it pulls it all together and refers to all these other great things like the NIST cybersecurity framework. Rajiv, Oz, Homa, anybody? Anybody uh, have a business application or question? Hey, John, no, um, and, and I'm not in IT and I'm not, I mean, uh, most of the things that you talked about kind of flew over my head, but we do have a, a business application in which we utilize third-party carriers um, to, to handle some of our freight. And, and one of the things that we're trying to connect is um, create a, a portal in which we can transmit information from our system into their systems. And there's always our, our IT corporate folks that, that just basically say no to everything. So uh, th that, that's been a challenge is, is letting others, uh, such as contractors, input information into our system and, and kind of have that, that information flow uh, readily available. Does tips going to make it easier? I don't, you don't really need tips for an application like that. That's really an identity and access management opportunity, you know, where they need to make sure the person coming in or the, the service or software coming into the system is validated. So that's a trust and identity element, which is called IAM. If you ever hear someone say that it's identity and access management, IAM. And that's the term that people are using more and more. Usually it's just us cybersecurity geeks, right, Steve? <laughs> right, Stephen? <laughs> you say IAM, they're like, you are what? I'm like, ugh, well, you know, it's <laughs> So but then practically, how do you affect that? Like when provisioning IAM roles and making sure that they can assume the right stuff is that in and of itself takes a lot of work, I guess is what I'm hearing from Oz, right? To make sure that as contractors come in, as you change carriers, that you've got them. Uh, the answer then is like attribute-based access, but I can't get you know my guys to do ABAC as well as I'd like. Do you have practical tips on like how you roll out IAM policies for ensuring like tips, like adherence uh, within industry? 
So it's going to vary by industry. So when I think of what well, I'm- Specifically biomedical. Like I, I meant what I, I'm bugging the bioinformatics person from Northwestern this weekend. So like it wasn't a joke. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm thinking of you in the financial services sector. So, um, and I was thinking of Oz and supply chain. So um, so let me just answer Oz for a minute. Let me think it to you, David. So so Oz, what, what I'm thinking about, and I'm happy to hear from all the other experts on the, on the phone, on the, the line too, is- um, you should talk to your IT folks, explain what you're trying to do that you can't do. If what you're saying is it's too hard for them to get into the system, you know what I would say? Good job. Because that's what the cybersecurity people have to make sure is that they don't get in there if they shouldn't get in there. And it could have been that they got in there and then they left the company and they're really mad at that company. And you're still letting them in? That would be a big problem. Right. So there's intern, there's insider threat, there's you know external threats. And you really want them to be diligent. Remember when multi-factor authentication came out and we were like, oh my gosh, this is such a pain in the neck. They were like, thank God, maybe now I'll get to save my money and somebody won't take it on me, right? So you realize that this really is protecting you. And so that's the idea, the cultural idea we have is that we want to keep adding more protections. And now, you know, like, so when I say, did you know that 465,000 pacemakers were recalled in 2019? Really? Why? Oh, well, they were um, hackable um, within 50 feet and low skill level. Really? Yeah. So like when you're in a movie theater, how many people are within 50 feet of you? Oh, God, a lot. How many do you know you can trust? Maybe my wife, you know, <laughs> maybe not, you know, so there's a lot of risk out there. And so people are becoming more and more aware of that. Trust is becoming a bigger word for a lot of people. Can you trust people? Can you trust devices? Can you trust phone calls? Can you trust anything? So if they're stopping people from getting in, I'd say they're doing a good job. You know, now you need to have, you give them a way to get in that works. If what you're saying is, you know, they're currently in China when they're trying to get in and there's a firewall and they can't get into the system, that's a different question. And then you have to figure out how to tunnel through that or just don't use Gmail or whatever. Like there are different ways. You know, my students, they go back to China, you know, to go home and they can't get into our Gmail system. We, you know, so there are, you know, countries put up things like that too. So it's every every question is very specific. You know, you really have to look at the context of the question and what what the the business issue is you're trying to resolve and what the technical alternatives are. I feel like, you know, in this new world where technology is touching each of us, I feel like you need like an information, a digital Sherpa, you know, like somebody to kind of like carry your backpack and kind of get you over the hump. You know, um that's, I've actually been thinking about that in connected hospitals with the more and more you have all this technology and there are these people that may not be very digitally literate and they're like, but I need my insulin. Why isn't this working? You know, what, what is this password? Like, what do I, well, I don't know what just happened. Like we used to have candy stripers in the, in the old days. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember that they would walk around, they had little red and white, you know, dresses on and they would give out books. Mm -hmm. like we need digital candy stripers. You know, we need people helping people because um, the technology is difficult, but then also trying to simplify the technology and protect people with it, which is really what the TIP standard is about. AI attendant, right? And so, yeah, so many, uh, you know, whether you're in uh, whatever business you're in, how do we prioritize? Who gets priority here from the standards bodies on all these different applications? 
No, it's whoever wants to come forward and help create a standard. They don't stop it, you know, but there have to be people who know what they're doing that want to lead it, you know? So this has been bothering me, this tips thing for like 10 or 12 years. So I said, I think we should do something about it. And, you know, when I would bring it up to people, if you're in the business, they're like, I'm in. That's why when we created this, I said, you know, let's create this standard. They said, how many people? I said, maybe 25. I don't know if I invite my best friends. There are over 250 people in this working group from six continents and 22 countries. Because if you're in connected healthcare, you know this is a problem. All these devices are hackable. Um, and it's not just the ones that have the old Windows 7. That's what people say. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all these wearables and the things you carry around and, you know, the thing that connects to your grandmother's pacemaker that, you know, connects to the hospital, all this stuff, you know, hospital at home, which is becoming more and more because there are too many humans because they're living too long and the hospitals can't hit. So, you know, you're, you're set up at home with all your devices and everything. How do you keep that secure? You know? So, um, so there's no, there's no limit. We just need smart people who want to help lead it because it's all on, on a volunteer basis. You don't get paid to create a standard. Right. Uh, you know, what about timeline when this, uh, who knows, right? How long is it going to take before we actually start seeing these standards out there? Well, you know, having, you know, been in the microelectronics business when I was at IBM, we have what we call the design in time, <laughs> you know, so you have to design it into the system or the technology first, then it takes a while for it to be deployed and tested and manufactured and out in the world. So we're hoping, you know, we started developing this standard in 2019 and it's a, it's very big scope as you saw. So it took us a while to heard the, and 250 people were like, oh my gosh, how are we going to organize ourselves to get this done? So we, you know, we broke up into subgroups and then we, you know, we got it, we've gotten it to a good place. Thank God we had subgroup leaders. So we have a number of leaders that bring their expertise with them. Like, you know, DIDs, like, you know, decentralized identifier people or privacy people that know GDPR well. Um, and so it's been like four years. And so now it went through its first ballot and, um, it was, it's doing well. Now we're resolving some comments and hoping it gets out the door next year. There's a lot. It's a very big document. There's a lot of stuff in it. It's very technical. Uh, it has a lot of implications. So it takes a while to get through the system. We're hoping that, God willing, it gets through for next year. And then we can create some new ones, too. Right. Any last questions? I can see that uh, Arnaldo has one there. It's about uh, experience with the effectivity of fishing for employees in an organization. I'm not sure. What experience you have there, Lawrence? Yeah, well, I know that AI can makes it easier to do fishing. Right. Which bothers me just so much. Exactly. Yeah, it's like make America dumb again. You know, it, it takes advantage of us and people think that AI is smarter than they are, which right. is true. Well, it can be true if that's what you think. If that's what you think, then it will be smarter than you are because you won't learn anything. You'll just listen to the AI. Um, but I would suggest you don't do that. So, it's not a regressive model that's just thinking about the next word. Yeah. So. Any last questions for Florence before we get her last word? Florence, any last thoughts as we uh, close out the session about connecting or anything else that you've shared so far today? Um, no, it was great meeting all of you. Uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, my favorite thing people say after I present is you made me think. Uh, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, and so keep thinking. Um, if you think of something, you know, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you want to help create a new standard, we're setting up the group for decentralized clinical trials right now. And I'm starting to talk to the energy folks uh, next. Um, and then I'll get to the vehicles folks. 
Um, but I, I, you know, I do this in my spare time, the standard stuff. (laughs) So I can't do more than one at a time. Um, and this is a big one to get out the door and then we can know tips, hopefully apply it in multiple ways, like uh, 802.11. Now you know what that is, Michelle, you're going to be so cool at the next cocktail party you go to. Uh, and with the ranked priority, like you said, easy to kill people, uh, fast and medical, uh, but the grid is also vulnerable. So thank you so much, Florence. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Folks, how was the talk? Please go ahead and leave uh, your comments on the survey. It'd be very helpful for us. And don't forget the post-show notes. will hit your mailbox soon with the slide deck and the expert resources uh, and, of course, everybody's contact information. So next on From the Experts, January 23rd, we have Andrea Rutolo, Rockwell Automation's Global Head of Customer Sustainability and ESG. She's going to be sharing their approach on lessons learned with other, helping other corporations realize sustainable outcomes in energy, water, and waste in their ecosystem. With over 2,500 members, 20,000 followers across more than 45 industries, the FT Network is growing fast thanks to you and our sponsors. Please check out our library of expert content and never miss a show by subscribing to YouTube, Apple, Spotify channels, and find out how you could grow your business with FTE Plus and register for more shows just like this one on our website at FTE.network. Folks, we're out of time. Florence, thank you once again. And thanks everybody from the experts.